0: Thank you, Ruthann. Thank you, Anita. Some of us remember back in 1992, Jeffrey Dahmer was convicted in Milwaukee for murdering and dismembering 17 people. Sentenced to prison for 957 years, Dahmer was murdered by a fellow inmate two years later. It seemed that a number of years ago that Dahmer's gray matter had been preserved for science and it was creating a controversy in the family. Jeffrey's parents were split over what to do with his gray matter. His mother wanted it studied to see if he was biologically predisposed to violence. His father wanted it buried or destroyed or whatever you do with the brain of a serial killer. The hideous details of the the crimes as they became public. Jeffrey's father, Lionel, did some soul-searching. And he wrote a book entitled A Father's Story, attempting to piece together the details of his son, Jeff's life. A father's story tells a grievous tale. Lionel could have included some photos of the grievous account of his son. But he included some photos of his son when he was a toddler, giggling in his father's arms. Jeffrey, at age four, playing in the backyard of his grandparents' home. Jeffrey and his buddy Lee dressed up for Halloween. Jeff was a handsome boy with a broad smile and a shy demeanor, not unlike thousands of other little boys. But the scene in the book, A Father's Story, is one of parental neglect. Domestic conflict, a wife struggling with loneliness and depression, a father consumed with graduate work, too busy to participate in his son's life. In this sterile environment, devoid of affection and attention, Jeffrey Dahmer did what many other boys do. Though the vast majority never become killers, he started to drift. And his father Lionel writes as follows, and I quote, And so I wasn't there to see him as he began to sink into himself. I wasn't there to sense, even if I could have sensed it, that he might be drifting toward the unimaginable realm of fantasy and isolation that it would take nearly 30 years to recognize. End of quote. There's some haunting words there. I wasn't there. He began to sink into himself. He might be drifting. Without even knowing it, Lionel identified a process that is confirmed by observation. When dad is absent, boys begin to sink into themselves, they begin to drift. Today, I want to speak to men, husbands, fathers young men, and boys. Much of what I share this morning is based upon much, much study and scripture that I will not share. Hours upon hours have been devoted to scripture, prayer, meditation, and listening to the Lord. I only share a core of what I could share. We will focus on Adam and Christ. Adam is the first man in Scripture. Christ is called the second man. The first man led to sin and death. The second man led to victory over sin and death. I recognize much of what I share this morning will be counter to the culture in which we live. The Lord, Christ, Scripture, already determined manhood and fatherhood not the culture so let's take our bibles and turn to genesis 3 i'm going to read a number of passages just read the passage without any comment <clears throat> begin with genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through 12 we know that adam and eve had been created <clears throat> they've been given free will created in god's image And we know that the text ended in chapter 2. They were both naked and they felt no shame. They were open, they were honest with one another. They were open, they were honest with God. Genesis 3 verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that it commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew... Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. This comes immediately after the baptism of Jesus when a voice from heaven came and said, This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Matthew 4 and verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are really the Son of God, he said, Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, And serve him only, then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 14, in verse 32. Mark chapter 14 and verse 32. We find here the scene in the Garden of Gethsemane, Mark 14:32. Then they went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples. Sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him and began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the air might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Could you not keep watch with me one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hand of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 5. Verses 7 through 10. The writer of Hebrews, and one of his themes is that Christ is better than Moses, Aaron, and so on. But in Hebrews chapter five, seven through ten, speaking of Christ, during the days of Jesus' life on Earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the One who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son. He learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. In Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3, after a chapter on people who live by faith, the writer says in Hebrews 12 and verse 1, such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. As you contrast two men, Adam and Christ, the first man Adam, the second man Christ, we find that Adam was passive in Genesis 3. We find that Christ was aggressive in seeking to be obedient to his father. And fulfilling his father's will. We find Adam listened to Eve. Christ led courageously. Adam blamed Eve. Christ accepted responsibility. If it be possible, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Adam in his disobedience brought sin christ and his obedience brought life and a greater reward the amazing part of the gospel of christ is that god came among us in the person of christ and followed his father We think about men, we think about boys, we think about teenagers. Godly men, godly boys, godly teenagers seek to reject passivity as Christ would have done in Mark chapter 14. Accept responsibility. Matthew 4 Hebrews 5 They lead courageously Ephesians 5 we didn't read that passage 22 through 6 and verse 4 along with 1 Peter 3 and verse 7 and they expect greater reward As you look at scripture beginning with Adam and you trace scripture down through, we find that men tend to struggle with passivity. They tend to struggle with accepting responsibility. They tend to struggle with leading courageously. And they tend to struggle with looking at the eternal with the temptation to look at the present. And I will say this to you Mothers, you wives, you young ladies, you single gals. As you think about men in your life, don't be too quick to find thought. But be quick to pray for them. That there will be men, there will be boys, husbands, fathers who are pursuing rejecting passivity, accepting responsibility, leading courageously, and looking for a greater reward. I say this from a man's perspective. Men in our culture have taken a very hard rap. And maybe rightfully so for some. Men who are seeking to walk with God... Teen boys, young men, younger boys that are seeking to walk with God need all the prayer and encouragement that they can get. And I say this in praise to my mother, my mother in law, and my wife. Probably three women that have had a, the most profound impact in my life because they have prayed. They have encouraged and they have rebuked me over the years. And if there was a rebuke, it was rightfully done. We guys need the women in our lives. Men, fathers, husbands, boys, as you think about living well, God has provided the resources we need for obedience. And I'm not going to just mention these, that when God... Wants us to follow him. He provides what we need in the names, attributes, and words of God. Or works of God, I'm sorry. Names, attributes, and works of God. The names of God, the attributes of God, the works of God reveal so much about God, meditating upon them. We talk about position in Christ, who we are in Christ. We've been redeemed, forgiven, filled full. We've been adopted, a host of other things we have in Christ. God has given us the local body of believers where we need shepherding, we need corporate worship, we practice body life, then God has given us the indwelling Holy Spirit, who is so very, very active and so real at work in the lives of men, husbands, fathers, and boys, that He's given us Scripture. Scripture. I want to reflect briefly on rejecting passivity it seems one of the items that men and husbands and fathers and boys battle with is just being passive letting life happen and you go back to Genesis chapter 3 you will find that Adam basically sat back left the enemy talked to Eve left his wife respond, and did not step into the picture. You look at the track record of Scripture. The man who is called a man after God's own heart, David, was passive when it comes to his family on a number of occasions, and it had great consequences later in life. But yet God worked. In spite of our struggle as men, as husbands and fathers and boys, we battle with passivity. God continues to work. But a couple of thoughts as it relates to rejecting passivity. We who reject passivity have some type of character, integrity, and being plan in place and following it. I'm not saying it's written. But we have something that if I'm going to be a man of character, if I'm going to be a man of integrity, if I'm going to be a man that has a core being, then I need to take action. And that action would require discipline. I commented to Ruthann within the last month. I said, honey, at this point in life, and there's reasons, and I'm not going to go into all that. I, I said, I'm really struggling with being just passive, sitting back, letting things go. But God keeps me bringing me back to some directions that I've set years ago to reject passivity. Rejecting passivity means we focus on his, that is God's, resources that he has given to us. How many times do we as men, as husbands, as fathers, as boys, cry out and say, God, I can't. He says, I know you can't. But I've given you what you need. Rejecting passivity means a willingness to accept counsel, to accept rebuke, to accept correction. I can tell you the men and the women who have rebuked me, I remember them very well. And I recognize that if I do not accept rebuke, counsel, and correction from other people, as a man, as a husband, as a father, I'm going to drift pretty quickly. As a teenage boy, I was going to go out with some friends one night. My dad said, son, you better be careful. And he went on to explain some other things and offered a rebuke. The bottom line was, the guys you're going with are not good characters. I can remember my mother following me out of the house, the parsonage. And I walked off the porch, and she stepped off the porch. And as we're going around the corner of what then was a garage, she said, Dan, I have something to say to you. And she went on to say something to me about how I was being a father. I can remember standing on the sidewalk. I could take you to the exact spot in Chattanooga, Tennessee in front of the library at Tennessee Temple University, one of the professors saying to me, Dan, you're a double-minded man. And I could go on. Some I accepted, some I did not. But if we're going to reject passivity as men, accept counsel, accept rebuke, accept correction, it is hard and it hurts because we tend to be proud guys. Maybe you're not. I'm speaking of myself at least. Rejecting passivity means we don't let life happen. Well, what will be, will be. We respond to life. We respond to circumstances. It may be rejection. It may be a praise. It may be a promotion. But we respond. Not passively letting life happen. Happen. We as men need to recognize that most TV, movies, computer games, phones, internet promote passivity. I'm not saying these things are wrong. I'm not saying don't use them. But recognize that their very method promotes passivity. You sit and watch TV. You're passive. You play a computer game. You say, well, I'm aggressive. I'm doing something. But you're passive as it relates to real life. Again, I'm not knocking any of those items. They're part of our world. But recognize what they bring with them. There's an upside, but there's a downside, and passivity is part of it. As we seek to resist being passive as men, does not passively feed his mind on TV, movies, internet, computer. Again, I'm not saying those items are wrong. That's not my point. But too much of it promotes passivity. And you'll have to determine in your walk with God what would be involved. Rejecting passivity does not ask his family if they want to have family time together. Or have family meals together. This is the way we're going to do it. These are the meals this week that we're going to eat together. Be here, whatever that may be. Takes the leadership in that. We grew up with different fathers, and there's some areas of my father's life that I told Ruth Ruthann, I don't want to be like him. My kids will probably say the same thing about me, or are saying the same thing about me. But there's other areas I said, I want to be like my dad. One of the areas, and I'm not sure where it came from, was that Dad made it very clear, he said, This is when we eat supper. And this was his thought. This is when we eat supper, you're to be here. You're to plan nothing else, you're to be here. And those certain days, but that was just understood. He took the leadership, he rejected passivity. We weren't always happy with him. Rejecting passivity does not ask his family if they want to pray and study the Bible. Let's pray, let's study the Bible. I've been married to Ruth Ann for almost 47 years. And this is an honest confession. One of the things that I still struggle with and I don't tell her about it is to say, Honey, we're going to read the Bible. We're going to pray together because I'm tempted to be passive. Been at it for how many years? For you ladies and you gals, we guys need prayer because the draw of passivity is great, very great. Not excusing it. Just stating, passivity is a very great temptation. Does not ask his family if they want to attend corporate worship. Let's go. Does not ask his family if they want to practice body life. Let's share with one another. Let's share with other believers. Let's encourage so-and-so needs encouragement. We need to forgive one another. Does not ask his family if they need shepherding. He shepherds them. guys don't shoot me in this next one you have to determine the appropriate amount you walk with God and you determine it does not come home and sit in front of the TV and computer and phone for hours on end no pursue something beyond that And I'm not knocking those items I'm talking when it is excessive does not live by feelings that's part of rejecting passivity is to not live by feelings. Guys whatever your age if we're honest at all we battle with passivity. We've been there we've, been, we've done that. We've been down that road probably too often. In Christ, we have a position. In the names, attributes, and works of God, we have resources. In the body of Christ, we have resources. As we reject passivity, then we can move towards accepting responsibility. Proverbs talks about the fact that the glory of grandchildren, or I'm sorry, the glory of older people is their grandchildren. And it also talks about the fact that sons and daughters want to feel like a champion in the eyes of their father. Children by nature admire dad when they're young. It's innate, it's not learned. Sons, daughters have an inherent desire to boast in their fathers, especially sons. You probably never heard a boy, a young boy brag about his mother's cooking. Now, when they get into the teenage years, it might change. Isn't it generally, my dad's stronger than your dad? The father may be five foot tall, weigh a hundred pounds, dripping wet, but to his son, he's great. Every dad begins fatherhood clothed in the garment of praise. It's, it just seems to happen naturally, coming from boys and daughters. Dads, our sons, and our daughters need to hear that we value them. Might be a touch. It might be a smile. It might be a word of encouragement. Even though we're struggling, we battle with being passive. We take the initiative and seek to encourage. Bo Jackson, the former football and baseball star, in the prime of his career, wrote in Sports Illustrated, making this painful admission, and I quote, My father has never seen me play professional baseball or football. I tried to have a relationship with him, gave him my number and said, Dad, call me, I'll fly in, or I'll fly you in. Can you imagine? I'm Bo Jackson, one of the so-called premier athletes in the country, and I'm sitting in the locker room envying every one of my teammates who has a dad who would come in and talk with them after a game. I never experienced that. End of quote. Dads, we have a tremendous impact. Our sons, our daughters need encouragement. They need rebuke. They need correction. But they value us. There's a man several years younger than I, probably about three years younger than me, To this day, he is pursuing his father's blessing. 63 years old, still pursuing his father's blessing. And we don't all have that. We can't change what is in the past. We can't change who our fathers are. But who we are in the present, respond. There was a man who was speaking in Alaska, just concerning men and being godly men. And at the end of his talk, a fellow came up to him, and the speaker's name was Dan. And the guy handed him a note, and the note read, My father was killed in World War II when I was three years old. I knew in my heart that he loved me. My mother told me that he loved me. But I always longed to hear it myself from him. When my mother and stepfather retired and left Alaska, I came over one day to help them pack. Mother took an old army photograph of my father in his army uniform off her dresser and gave it to me. She said, here, this is for you. I know your father would want you to have it. It was the same photo that I'd seen for many years. As I took the picture from her, I dropped it. The cheap metal frame hit the floor and broke, shattering the glass. Sick at heart, I reached down to salvage what was left of this family treasure. Behind the photo, I found a letter. Placed there 37 years before and long since forgotten. It was a letter from my father to his three-year-old son. Last letter he'd written before he died. In it, he said that he loved me, that he longed to come home and to be with me. I had heard the words I needed to hear from a father who was long since dead. I say this to you, fathers. Some of us had a father that cared deeply. Some of us had a father that didn't care deeply. There may not even be a relationship with him. But through Christ, there's a heavenly father that cares and ministers and wants to be to us what our earthly father can't totally be. But if you're a father here and You hope to be a father someday. Step up to the plate with the resources that are available through Christ. Administer to your children. You may feel like a failure. You may struggle. You may look at your past and see things that you may not have done. Let the past be past. You're in the present. You're in Christ in the present. God is at work in the present. Your spirit or the Holy Spirit lives in you in the present. Pick up where you are and go on. For God's glory. We have Christ. We have God. We sow the seed. We seek to live well. And part of living well is admitting our failure. Part of living well is admitting our sin. That we blew it along the way. But we don't sit back passively and say, I blew it. We go on from the present. And every one of you guys sitting here, whether you're a husband or a father or a man or a young guy, you can look at your past and say, I blew it along the way. I say about myself, I've been there, I've done that. If you were to look at my prayer diary where I list my confessions, you would see that. But passivity says, live in the past. God says, step up and pursue walking with me for my glory. Let's pray together. Father, we call you Father. And in calling you Father, we're saying so much. Because we can look at earthly fathers, we can look at our own lives if we're fathers and realize that those in our lives may not have measured up and we don't always measure up the way we might desire. But you're a father to us. And I pray, Father, for men, husbands, fathers, teen guys, and boys, that we will take our direction not from the world, but from your word, from learning from the men that are recorded for us in Scripture from Christ and for men in our own lives. May we not live in the past. May we not say, I could have, I should have, I wish I would have. May we choose to live in the present. Forgetting what is past and pressing on toward what is ahead. And being sensitive to you, Father. Being sensitive to the body that you've given to us. Being sensitive to people that you bring into our lives. Not thinking that we arrive, but that we are in process of walking with you, being men, husbands, fathers, boys that you've called us to be. Working our lives. You've begun a good work and you continue that. And we want to go in that direction. May we be men and husbands and fathers and boys that resist passivity, accept responsibility, lead courageously, and look for a reward beyond this earth. And Father, may we build our lives into others also to help men, fathers, husbands, boys, to be what you've called them to be. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.